Hi, if you're looking for greater hope, assurance, and confidence through the shifting sands of life, then join me on today's episode as we dig deep into the Bible to discover rock-solid truth for life and living from the God of the Bible. I'm your host, Scott Keffer. Well, we've been on a journey through uh, Finishing Strong. Hope you all enjoyed that uh, session. If you, you missed any, they are available. So that was good to uh, walk through that. So we find ourselves back on our journey with the Lord Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew. We're plopping ourselves right back into where he was in the midst of his interactions with those who uh, sought to follow him and those who sought to oppose him, which is where we are this day. So let's read our scripture and pull some nuggets from it. If you'd stand with me out of reverence for God and his word, we are at the top. Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God and truth and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. He said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here they are, the Pharisees and the Herodians, who were pretty much not friendly with one another, didn't agree with one another, oftentimes were in disputes with one another, but they came together for the purpose of what? Trapping Jesus, coming together to trap Jesus. So we find them here questioning Jesus, questioning Jesus. Interesting when that happens in Scripture. And they, they say to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and that you teach the way of God in truth and you defer to no one for you are not partial to any. Some say they were sort of flattering him, but I think they were mocking him. Right, of course, you're truthful, and of course, you're impartial, yes, aren't you? And so they ask him, tell us then, what do you think? So tell us in order that we can judge you. Tell us then, Jesus, what do you think? So they ask him, right, they're questioning, in order to judge him. Confused about the fact that Jesus knows the heart, Jesus knows the heart, doesn't he? Because he says, Jesus perceived their malice. And literally, it comes from a word that, a Greek word, which means depravity. (laughs) That he could see into their heart. Which when I first came to Christ, that was one of the scariest things. (laughs) That Jesus said, when you look on a woman to lust for her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. Oh dang, this is a heart thing. I thought it was all about like following rules. Which is what religion is about, right? But God is about what's in your heart, and he can see what's in their heart. What was in their heart was malice. 
malice, intent to deceive, intent to trap him. So I love this because Jesus rarely answers with a statement. He most often answers with a question, which is a good reminder for us, right? Because when unbelievers seemingly put God in the corner, because what are they trying to do? Push God in the corner? Like, I've asked you a question where I'm going to expose the fact, right? Now, what's interesting about God is he finds no need to answer anyone. He has no need. We feel like, oh, I've got to have the answer for God. God is not worried. He doesn't feel like he needs to answer people's questions, because he doesn't. He's God. He's infinite. He's wise. We feel like, what happens if I don't have the answer? Well, Jesus doesn't give them the answer. He asks them a question. What's he say? And he speaks. This is so funny because he said, oh, we know that you speak the truth and that you are impartial, Jesus, kind of mocking him. And Jesus speaks the truth with impartiality. And he says, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Huh. And then we all the time say, I love this phrase, I don't know what it means, just love on them. How many have heard that? Unbelievers, just love on them. Jesus said, you hypocrite. There, there are some who are wicked and against him, right? So he calls them what they are, a hypocrite. Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? I think Jesus is confounding, isn't he at times? He's this stunning combination of truth and compassion and, and impartiality. I mean, he's just all of this together. I think he's just stunning. So they're there to judge him and to test him. And he asks them a question. Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? He asks them a question back. So I was thinking about this. Questions. Questioning God. And it became clear to me that there's a difference between asking God a question and questioning God. Because you think, is it, is it okay to ask God a question? Is it okay to question God? See, when I question God, I'm putting him on the scale, and who is testing him? Me. I'm seeing if he comes up valid, right? So I thought many times in Scripture, people ask questions, right? So in the Psalms, often if you read the Psalms, one of the things, one of the habits we've been trying to do for many, many years is before bed, read a Psalm, Right, and pray and then go to sleep. So the scripture kind of drops into the subconscious and you know, it work while you're sleeping. And there are lots of questions in the Psalms. A lot of times they ask questions. So he says, I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. So oftentimes questions are coming from within, right? So he's sitting around, he's saying, essentially I'm thinking on this, right? I'm thinking on my situation. Will the Lord reject forever? How many have been in a situation in your life where you wonder, has the Lord rejected me? Right? And he says, and will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Where you feel like that's the case. Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? And then what does Selah mean? Stop. Think. That's what Selah means. Stop. Pause. Think. Think about it. Think about it. So he says, think about that, right? That's what it feels like, doesn't it? It's the questions oftentimes in life situations, right? And you wonder those questions. So he says, stop, think about it. Then I said, it's my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. What? No, has God changed? He says, I shall remember. 
the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. So he fixes, he reboots, right? He answers it in some ways himself. I'll remember who God is, right? So oftentimes the answers to our question are to come back to the character and the nature and the favor of our God, right? Favor of our God. Yeah, run to the core. That's a good reminder, Roger. And not just what he's done for you and what he's done. And so Mary says to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So Mary asks the question, how can this be? And we, of course, we see Jesus who says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So apparently there is a, a surrendered, submissive questioning of God, where it's just you're surrendered to the fact that he has, he has the right and the ability to do this, but the question comes from a surrendered, submissive spirit. It's interesting because I hadn't thought about this. It was actually John Piper who, who pointed this out in Luke 1, 18, where Zacharias says to the angel, how will I know for certain? And so, right, how will I know for certain? So he says, for I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel. So wait a minute, like I'm Gabriel, like wet my pants stuff, like, this, you know, this, an angel, right? He says, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. So there's something about that question that's different than, than Mary's question. And he says, I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak. Why? It says in there, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So it was a question of unbelief. It was a question which had its nature in unbelief. And so the, the, apparently there is a surrendered submissive why, a surrendered submissive how can this be? Right, Mary, like, how can this be? Surrendered to it, submissive to it, but still with a question. As opposed to Zacharias who's saying, this can't be, like, come on. So there's something about, right, in our nature, Lord, you have the right, you have the ability to do this. I don't fully understand this, right? And we've had questions, you know. Why would you, right, there's a surrendered submissive. Why would you take my husband when you did? Why would you take my wife? Why, why did I lose my friend? Why did I lose my job? Why did I have cancer? Why, I mean, there are all of that. There is a, there's a surrendered to it that God has the right and the ability to do that. And it, I'm surrendered to it, but there is a questioning, a childlike questioning, right? How? Why? Right? Then we see that in Mary. We see that in Jesus. And then there's a, like, what are you doing? What are you doing, God? Right? There's, a, there's an unbelief to that question. So we see in Scripture kind of that. So is it okay to ask God questions? Sure. What's the nature of my question? What is the nature of my question? So sometimes God doesn't seem to answer, at least not right away. Sometimes it doesn't seem to answer. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Sometimes it'll feel like that. Again, reminder that God's always answering. Sometimes he answers in silence, right? Sometimes he answers out loud. Sometimes he answers now. Sometimes he answers later. 
And I think as I was thinking about this, sometimes our questions become questioning God's motives and his ways. So our questions can slide to, like, what the heck are you doing? What can that feel like? That can feel like this, underline, my way is hidden from the Lord. Hmm. Or underline, the justice do me escapes the notice of my God. So what are the nature of those questions? You don't see? They're not fair? This isn't just? What are you doing? Right? All of those things. Now those rise up inside of us, don't they? Particularly when there are hard places in life, right? So there's this, you know, I remind myself of Mary's response. I remind myself of Jesus' response. Lord, help me to be in the right place for that. Because it's hard, you know, hard. So it's, it's different to say, this is a hard place. Why, Lord? It's, this is hard. Why, Lord? Then, like, where are you? Do you leave me here? Like, what's up? Where's my justice? So the Lord answers again. He answers how? With a question. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, Yahweh, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? And oh, by the way, his understanding is inscrutable, beyond scrutinizing from you, beyond you putting it into your, your scale of what's just. Because that's what they were, essentially, that's what he's doing. You are testing me. You are seeing whether my ways fit into your scale of justice. Not that I would ever do that, but it's our nature, isn't it? To say, explain it to me. Explain it to me. And so there's just a caution that we don't question. Asking God a question and questioning God are two different things. And of course, then <laughs> I love when he, Lord answers Job out of a whirlwind. And he says, get on your adult pants because, right, your potty pants, because now my turn. God says, now it's my turn to ask you some questions. Holy smokes. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man. Holy smokes. And I will ask you. And then God says, see, you instruct me. Go ahead. You instruct me. Where were you? I love that. When I laid the foundation of the earth. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, tell me if you have understanding. Who sets its measurements? Oh, there's another good one. Uh, since you know, or who stretched out the line on it? Or, you know, on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who enclosed the sea with the doors when bursting forth it went forth from the womb? And he says, who commanded? I love in the, in the summer... We sit down at the ocean, and the ocean just keeps coming, but it doesn't come up to me. Why is that? Well, it's gravity and the moon and all that. No, he says in here, God says, because I said, no more. You'll come here and no more. That's what God said. Like, what? He said, can you do that? How about you? And then he goes through, right? Check it out. And then he says, who are you to instruct me? Oh, yeah, those are good questions, Lord. And then in Romans 9, which is astounding to all of us, how he hardens some and, and softens others, right? Then the, the, the Apostle Paul, the, the, whole, the Spirit of God says to the Apostle Paul, you will say to me then, why does God find fault? 
If he hardens one, he softens another. Who is God to find fault? For who resists his will? So in other words, if you're sovereign over the choice, right, of who you chose, how can you hold somebody responsible? That's what somebody's saying. Somebody's saying, how can you do that? On the contrary, he says, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? Well, that answers back is the Greek word which only found one other place. If you go to Luke 14, didn't have room to put it on there. Luke 14, 5 and 6. So in in beginning 14, it it says it happens when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath. He bred, they were watching him closely. What's that mean? They were seeing if they can catch him again, right? And there in front of him, the man with dropsy, Jesus answered, spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They kept silent. He took hold of them and healed them and sent them away. Which one of you, he says, will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? Good question, huh? Right, so if you can't work on the Sabbath, well, wait a minute. If your ox fell in, or how about if your son fell in, would you pull him out? And it says they could make, what's your version say in verse 6? They had nothing to say. New American Standard said they could make no reply. That's the same word that's used here in this scripture of answer back, which means they had no ability to call him on account because of what he just asked. They couldn't, they couldn't come back to him. This, that's the same word here. So you notice there's a motive in this word that's wrapped up in this. That's why it's often good to look at the Greek. It says, so he says, on the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back, who who puts God on, on, the, on the, you know, how do you answer God, call God to account? So then he says, the thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Yeah, that's a good picture. How many have done the wheel, the clay and the wheel? How many have done that, right? You're doing, so in the middle of that, you're doing all the thing and smushing it, and the, the clay says, uh, hey, what are you doing? Like, why are you, why are you making me into that shape? Say, well, wait a minute, you're the clay, I'm the... Because there's a motive in this question. Like, who do you have a right, God, to harden some and soften the others? And then he's saying, who do you, O man, have a right to question the sovereign Lord of the universe about this? Well, I don't understand it. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. Hmm. Thing molded. Why did you say? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? And then he says, what if God? What if God? And so it's, it's just a reminder for us to watch when our questions, particularly when we get into areas that don't seem to answer, don't seem to fit all our mold. Why would you do this with my friend? Why would you do this with my children? Why would you do this with somebody, right? There's lots of the, the what-ifs, right? Uh, what-ifs in life. So just, it's, a, it's just a good caution for us to be careful when we start to answer back. And this is really call God into question. Is that in, a, in other words, when it says they had no reply, <laughs> there's no way they could, they could get God on that. That's that same word here. Does that make sense? So it's likely you have some questions in your life at the moment. Questions are not bad. It's really the intent behind them, right? So what are some of your questions? 
So I remind myself, think about Mary's surrendered and submissive how. Jesus surrendered submissive why, you know? That, that Abba Father, Papa, I trust you, I just don't understand how you're going to do that. Papa, I understand, right? I trust you, I just don't understand why, right? Why, right? So just a great reminder, right, that we can trust him. We can trust him in the whys and the hows, right? We can trust him in the whys and the hows, questioning God. So flip over. So what do they ask him? They want to test him. Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? Ooh, we got him now. We got God boxed in the corner. How many have unbelieving friends who think, I boxed God in the corner? What about the people over there? What about this? What about that? Right? Now I got him. I got him, right? Trying to box Jesus in. A denarius, right? Poll tax. Every man paid. Every woman paid. And paying the poll tax was a sign of submission. So I figured we got him. If he says no, he's breaking the Roman law. If he says yes, right? We got him. We got him. So Jesus answers, of course, right? He says, render, right? He says, grab the coin, look at it. And as they pick it up, then he says, what image is on this? What's the image? And the image is Caesar. This is the, right. His image is upon that coin. So he says it's his. It's his coin, right? So he says, then render to Caesar the things, underline that, that are Caesar's. Render to Caesar, give back, in other words, as due, right? So the image of Caesar is on their coin. He says it's his coin, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And of course, if you were an insurrectionist as a, first, as a Jew at the time, you'd say, whoa, wait a minute. I think we need to overthrow the government. How many feel like that today? Yeah, sometimes you think about it, right? So Clark says, this gives us the limits, the rights, and the jurisdiction of the two empires. The images stamped on their coin denotes the temporal things belong to government. And first Peter says, mm, some, some, this, mm. this is hard because the wives, mm, dear, mm, dear husband, right? In the air it says, mm, yourselves to the Lord's sake for every human institution. Dang. And then he says in Romans, let's read this. Every person is to be in subjection to the government authorities. There is no authority except from God. And those who exist are established by God. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. So he says render that same thing, right? Give back as what is due. Submit yourself. You got to pay tax. Dang, I hate the IRS. So he says, submit yourself, and you do it. Why? For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. No authority except from God. God puts authority in. Melchizedek said, in all questions of real and seeming collision between secular authority and spiritual freedom, the former claims obedience as a de facto ordinance of God up to the limit the limit. Where is that limit? When it encroaches on the rights of the conscious and prevents men from worshiping and serving the Creator. Where is that? It's a tough challenge. Well, for Bonhoeffer, it was a really tough challenge. Who's in Hitler's Germany 
And it was a question that he constantly struggled with. What, you know, what subjection to the state authority and what call of God do I have in the midst of this, right? The answer for him was he was literally, right, colluding to kill Hitler, to get Hitler removed. He felt like that was God calling him and he paid with his life as a result of that, standing against that. Hard for us to imagine, but not a lot, because we're in a time when things are changing. Get your vaccination passport. Get your financial passport. Get your, just watch, see all, all, all of that, where we'll, as Christians, are trying to think about, okay, where's that line here, right? Where is that line? And so that will become, for us, who knows, but certainly for our children and grandchildren, as God continues to move his work, will become a challenge, right? What do they, what do, they do? What does that mean, right? Does that make sense? So submit, but there's a limit. Render to Caesar. What do you render to Caesar? The things that are Caesar's. And then he says, render to God. Give back what is due. Underline the things that are God's. Well, what are those? Well, for a Christian, it's the whole self. It's the whole self. The image of God stamped on the soul denotes that all its faculties and powers belong to the Most High and should be employed in his service. We are stamped with God's image and believers, but all believer, all people are stamped with God's image, right? Made in his likeness, stamped with his image. Therefore, the image is upon ownership. <laughs> but particularly now, we are as Christians, right? We are being made into his likeness. He's stamped his image upon us. So let's read Romans 6. He says, Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So render your members, he's saying, as instruments of righteousness to God. Rem re render them to God. And that's Reese 12.1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So he's saying, render to God your bodies, your, all, your whole life, right? Your body, right? Your mind, your will, your emotions, right? Your mind, your will, your emotions. So he says, render your whole self to God. Also, your time, talents, and spiritual gifts. Your time, your talents, and your spiritual gift. Whenever you want to go through and improve your eating, you keep a diary. Yeah, and by it's what's interesting by its nature, when you start to do that, you'll notice you change how you eat just when you start to track it, right? If you want to change your fitness, you, you track your fitness, right? And you do a couple of times a year. I have a tool with the people that we, we coach. We track their time, but not time like in track your time, but where is the categories that it comes in, right? It's a good exercise to say, where am I investing my time. Where am I investing my time? I have limited time. And where am I investing my talents? So it says, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. Don't have talent envy. You get the ones he's going to give you. And to each according to his own ability. There are some one talent people, two talent people, five talent people, right? 
I generally think that those who are in leadership pushing into ministry are five talented people. God has given you the talents to be able to, to apply those talents, to invest those talents for fruitful return. And they brought back ten. Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things, therefore I'm going to put you in charge of many, right? He was faithful in a little, as faithful in much. So how are you investing your talents? Render to God your time, your talents, and your spiritual gifts. He says, as each one has received a special gift, underline, put it to work. (laughs) Put it to work. Not like the world around us where you're paid to be unemployed. He says, be fully employed. Be fully employed. As each one received a special gift. And then he says, how about tracking, right? What would come up if you tracked your time? What would come up if you tracked your treasures? If we submitted our checkbook as evidence that we're a Christian, we submitted our time tracking as evidence. So he says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So the first fruits, that's the whole idea. The first fruits belong to God. No, actually, there's a reason. He says, because it all belongs to God. His image, the whole earth is full of his glory. His image is on everything because he's created it all, right? So we honor with the wealth that he's given it. Which part? The first part. (laughs) The first part. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Right? Where moth and breath destroy, where thieves break in, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. So, you know, we give back for God to employ not only our talents, but we want him to employ our treasures. Put this stuff to work, Lord. Multiply it. And they ask in, in Malachi, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how? In tithes and offerings, right? In tithes and offerings, right? So, Again, tithes are in the law, but there were two and a third tithes in the Old Testament. So tithes is not, 10% is not an actual right, right, law, but it's a, it's, a, it's a reference point. But he said there are tithes and offerings, tithes and offerings, which means for me, giving be, is always beyond the tithe. But the tithe belongs where? He says, right, where do you bring the tithe? Into the storehouse. Where is that? Your local fellowship. So I believe the tithe belongs here. The ministries outside of the local fellowship are the offerings. The tithe belongs at the church, right? In your local church, the ministries, right? A lot of you support ministries apart from here, right? I believe that's what the offerings are. Those are in addition to tithes. This is bring the tithe into the local church. Just a thought from me. And the reminder... Right? He says, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, where this house lies desolate? The average giving uh, among Christians is the same as unbelievers in the United States, which is about 2.4% on average. Right? Same as unbelievers. No, no unbelievers are as generous as, as Christians are. Generally, that's the case. He says, why is that? He says, because you dwell in your paneled houses. So God says, consider your ways. 
You've sown much, but harvest little. He who earns, earns wages, puts it in a purse with holes. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. So God says, right? So think about this. Here's the cool thing. God says, if, if you got this wrong, if you're all about you, right? If you're all about you, if you're ungenerous and, and stingy, right? And it's all about you. You'll bring it home. I'll blow it away. Which also means, by the way, if you bring it to me, I will blow it up. I blow it away and I'll blow it up. Everybody get that? God has the ability. So that's the really cool thing. He says, if you get this right, if you get it wrong, I'll just blow it away and you, you will be unsatisfied with it. If you're, if you're not generous, if you're stingy, then I will blow it away. But he says, if you bring it to me, I'll blow it up. <laughs> Isn't that cool? So you think about that. He can take what we have as little as we have. So sometimes you think, I can't. Maybe that's not much, depending on your situation. God can multiply it. That's why the, the widow and her might gave more. God will take and I'll blow it up, right? I can multiply the little bit that you give. So don't, don't, don't be thinking, I can't give a ton. It's okay. I can blow it up. You bring it to me, I will blow it away if your heart's wrong, but I will blow it up. Does that make sense? So he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. Understand, right, there are things, right, our, our, as Christians, our submission to the local authorities and to the national authorities. At the same time, render to God the things that are God's, your whole self. We render ourself to God. Your time, your talents, your spiritual gifts, and your treasures. Your treasures. And if you do that, you honor the Lord, he will blow it up. I love that. And then all of a sudden you can see, you can take a little and he'll do a lot with it. He will do a lot. So how's your rendering? Time, talent, spiritual gifts? Tens of well done. How you doing? And how about your treasures? Harder. The treasures are harder. No time is harder. No, I don't know. Maybe your challenge is time. No, everybody's got a different, don't understand, everybody's got a different challenge. Some it might be time. Right, time and talents, right? Employing the gifts that God has given you. For other, it might be treasures. But it's, there's a generosity about both of them, right? It's recognizing they're his. That's all, all he's recognizing. They're yours, Lord. And when you do that, you bring, he says, you bring it into the storehouse and I will multiply it. Same with my time. I love this. He says, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand outside. God's math is... One, one minute in, thousand out. Everybody get it? See, he blows it up. So when you think, I don't have time, he can explode your time. Same with your treasures. So God's math is a day in thy courts is better than a thousand outside. Render to God the things that are God's. Larry Burkett used to say, people come to me and say, do I give off of my gross or my net? And he would say, well, it depends on whether you want God to bless your gross or your net. Isn't that a good answer? We'll write an application, and then we'll, write, we'll share some questions with God and rendering. I love God's math, because God, God creates everything out of nothing. If you multiply anything by zero, what do you get? Yeah, God multiplies, and you get everything out of nothing, right? God's math is amazing, right? He'll take a little, and faith of a... He multiplies. So just like we ask God questions, they're good to ask yourself questions regularly just to see where you are, right? And when you think about that, when, when I say, you know, where are you on a scale of 1 to 10, the, the relative answer 
is important, but more important is what's the direction? What's the direction of that of your answer, right? You're 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 not a ten. You're you're only a ten in Jesus. Everybody get that? You're only a ten in Jesus. He makes you a ten. <laughs> That's well done, well done, right? Well done. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. You're well pleasing in him. Understand, right? In the midst of that, we struggle. <laughs> we struggle. So it's direction. How am I doing with direction? For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, right? I got my mitts all over this stuff again, Lord. No, seriously, it's mine, right? That's the struggle, isn't it? Yeah. If you understand his glory, glory means weight. That if God, if God gave you this much of his wisdom, it would crush you. Do you understand? It, 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 it's not even physically possible. It's not that, not that he won't. He can't. You would, you would be consumed with the weight of his wisdom. His glory is beyond. We just, the door has just been cracked. We just get this little crack of his glory. And he needs to transform the body of this humble state into conformity with the body of his glory for you to see him. Uh, because otherwise, if, if a man sees him, he is dead. He will be dead, right? Understand, his glory is so heavy, if you will, that it would consume us. It would bury us. It would squash us. So he's going to transform us, and then we will see his full glory. When we see him, we'll be like him. Amazing stuff. May the incomparable, indescribable, and ineffable one, may he bless you, may he keep you, may he cause his face to shine upon you, may he lift up his countenance and grant you his shalom deep in your soul. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God the Father, and may the blessing and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Thanks for listening. I hope you have greater hope, assurance, and confidence in your life and a deeper trust in the God of the Bible and His Son, Jesus Christ. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace, his shalom in your soul and in your life. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.